Luke 22, beginning at verse 39. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from, the, from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came and one of the twelve named Judas was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded, No more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, temple police and the elders who had come for him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour. And the dominion of darkness. They seized him, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, This man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, You're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, This man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Heavenly Father, grow us today a greater understanding of your mercy to us in the Lord Jesus who came leaving aside his glory so that we could be with you who took our sin that we would be sinless who died that we might live 
Give your grace to both speaker and listeners today for your glory in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, we're in the middle of a, well, sort of in the middle of a series. Bit of an odd thing to be doing this on Good Friday, but because uh, I've got to tie in the fact that we're in the middle of a series and then it is Good Friday and, uh, and time is limited. And anyway, there's a big passage before us, a lot of verses to get through. But we have been looking at uh, what it means to follow Jesus. And we've been looking at these disciples, that means that's just a fancy word for followers of Jesus. We've been looking at these disciples, listening to Jesus, spending time with Jesus, learning from Jesus. They were following Jesus, a bit like uh, an apprentice uh, does looking at the master craftsman. I'm, I'm, I'm a tradie and I, I know all about this. You know, you look at how the master does it and you go, okay, that's how it's done. And then you try and do it yourself. In fact, you keep trying it yourself until you can do it properly. That's the, that's the general idea. These disciples were with Jesus uh, all of the way. We've seen that right the way through the talks that we've had so far. However, I don't know if you noticed this, that from this reading today, we see, although we see the disciples going into the garden with Jesus, at the end of the reading, they're gone. Jesus is alone. Uh, Peter, one of the key disciples, leaves weeping bitterly. And you wonder, well, why did Luke put, it, put this in here? Why is it sort of written like this? And it's interesting that we're looking at a series on following Jesus, where we find out that actually the disciples, at this particular point, stop following him. Well, what am I to make of this? Well, let's turn it into my first point. And I have only two points today. Uh, well, actually, a reflection at the end. I mean, you might say that's three points, but hey, I'll argue it's just two. Actually, I'll probably say it's just one, and the other two happened quite quickly at the end, but don't worry about that. <laughs> the two points are, to the cross, alone Jesus goes. Okay, I know that's probably not proper English, but to the cross, alone Jesus goes. Jesus goes alone to the cross, if that makes sense. And the second point is, to the cross alone, we must come. Because there's no other forgiveness anywhere else. Well, to the cross alone, Jesus must go. And we see this in these verses from Luke chapter 22. Firstly, we see him alone in his prayers. Okay, the disciples go into, into the garden with him. It's the garden of Gethsemane. The disciples are there with him. And he says for them to pray. Yes, um, Jesus has already uh, prayed for them and he's prayed for Peter in particular leading up to this but he tells them, he's instructing them in the garden to pray so that they would not fall into temptation and they'll need the strength of God at this particular time because at, at this time there is an encounter between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light and it's a great cosmic encounter we don't see the magnitude of it, but it's a huge cosmic encounter between evil, between Satan's domain and God's domain. But we'll see that God's in control of it all. But he says to them, pray. But Jesus is alone in his prayers, not just because he distances himself a stone's throw away from them, verse 41. But when Jesus has finished praying, he goes back to his disciples and what are they? They're asleep. He's alone in his prayers. And Jesus is alone in his pain, in his grief. Yes, the disciples are sorrowful. 
uh, as in verse 45, and they're so sorrowful that they fall asleep from exhaustion due to this sorrow. So they are sorrowful. But Jesus is alone in his pain, in his grief, in his agony. We see this from verse 45. Uh, Jesus, when, uh, uh, sorry, we see it in verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And we see him in great anguish, uh, the sweat dropping from him like drops of blood. He is alone in his pain. What is this cup that Jesus is referring to? Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. It is, friends, the cup of God's wrath, of God's anger, the anger that God has toward me, toward humanity, toward you, for how we've treated God. How have we treated God? Well, we've ignored God's rule. We've rebelled against him. We've done our own thing. We've gone our own way. In fact, I think at best, this is how we treat God. Like the spare tire on our car. That's it. We know that the spare tire is back there. You know what I mean? We know it's back there, but we don't think about it. I don't think about it. I don't care about it. Does it look like I care about my spare tyre? No. Does it look about I care about washing my car? No, but we won't go into that. We know it's back there somewhere, the spare tyre in our car. We don't think about it. We don't care for it. We don't pay any attention to it. But when we need it, because we've got a flat, we just we pay great attention to it then. We know exactly where to go, don't we? And we hope like crazy that it's going to work for us. And then we put it on and it gets us to the server and we get the tyre fixed. We put the spare back in there. Guess what we do with the spare again? We forget about it. We don't think about it. That's just how we, we are with the spare tyre in our car. At best, humanity treats God, our God, our creator, like this. How do you think you would feel if your friends or your family treated you like this? They only ever phoned you up when they needed your help. They only ever contacted you when they needed something from you. Maybe some money, maybe some help to do something. But then the rest of the time they don't give you a moment's thought. How would you feel? We're all created relational beings. We know the effects of this. Well, we'd feel rightly annoyed to start with. What happens if it kept on going year after year after year? That your friends, your family, those close to you even, uh, only ever contacted you when they needed something from you and then forgot, forgot about you, ignored you the rest of the time. You would feel rightly angry. We've ignored God. Oh yes, I pray to him when I've got trouble. But the rest of the time, we do not treat God as he deserves. And God is rightfully angry with us and the cup of God's wrath, of which Jesus speaks in the Garden of Gethsemane, is a real cup that we deserve to drink, that I deserve to drink for how I've treated God, for how you've treated God. And Jesus is alone in his pain as he looks at this, being in anguish, verse 44, agony. He prays more fervently. His sweat becomes like drops of blood falling to the ground. 
There's an old hymn that says, It was for me in the garden. He prayed, not my will, but yours, but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. He took our sins and our sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. To the cross, alone Jesus goes. And his agony will continue and intensify right up until the time when he cries out in excruciating pain, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He will die alone, drinking that cup of God's wrath that we deserve excruciating pain that's that we get that word excruciating that means literally in greek a cry from the cross we get that in english from what jesus did and suffered for us i'm talking about what happens in history that has affected us even down to the language that we use jesus is cast out of god's presence so that we can be welcomed in one commentator, as he reflected on the agony that Christ was considering as he looked into that bitter cup of God's wrath, wrote this. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Right back. Think of Adam. And the sin of Adam is like the first stone that was dislodged at the top of a, mountain slide, a mountainside, the first stone that was dislodged that started an avalanche of human rebellion, of wickedness, of brutality, of abuse, of hatred, of bitterness, of murder, of genocide, down and down through history, it is hurtling and gathering pace. And that's what the sin of Adam did. And at the bottom of the mountain, Jesus stands with his arms outstretched and receives that crushing blow, the full force of all of God's anger that he rightfully has towards us and brings it to an end. In the Garden of Eden, Adam dislodged a stone. In the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus stared at that evil and bitter cup which the Father was giving him to drink. It was the avalanche coming toward him which gave him such anguish, but which he was determined to meet. Christ suffered alone. He's alone also, not only in um, his prayers and in his pain, but he's alone in the plan, in the mission. He's alone in understanding God's will and God's purpose. We see that in his prayer. But we also see that he is alone because his disciples still don't get it they don't still don't get the plan that he came to take the righteous wrath of God on himself to bring atonement at one meant between us and God it's not some new idea of Jesus by the way it was the plan of God prophesied through the old testament that God would crush his suffering servant 
that he would lay upon him all of our sin. And it's not some invention of Jesus or or some death wish of Jesus. (laughs) We see that in his prayer, yet not my will... If it could be any other way to be taken from me, it's not a death wish on his part. And it's not something the disciples sort of figured out and, 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 and dreamt up. They still don't understand the plan themselves. Jesus was ready for the cross. But the disciples, what were they ready for? They were ready for conflict. One of them taking out his sword after they, the religious heavies come to, to take Jesus away, one of them takes out his sword and cuts off the right ear of the high priest, verse 50, with Jesus immediately healing it. It's an extraordinary healing. It's, it's a unique healing. There's no... Well, it's probably the only healing, I think, that was caused by... you know a sword someone actually cutting but it's unique in that that the person receiving the healing and the blessing and the compassion from Jesus now he didn't seek it he didn't deserve it he's he's one of the enemies there to arrest Jesus and and there's no thanks recorded in Luke's gospel either by the way but Jesus does it see his compassion right to the very end for his enemies And yet his greatest act of compassion is yet to come, where he is lifted high on that tree for us, his enemies. Such compassion. I don't deserve it. That's God's plan. It's God's plan that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's it. And Jesus goes, carrying out the Father's will. Well, he's alone in his prayers, his pain, in the plan. And he's alone finally in his person. Now, I know that's probably not very good English, but he's personally alone. He's left alone by his disciples. Yes, they follow him into the garden, verse 39. In the end, they've gone. Peter goes outside weeping bitterly, having denied that he even knew Jesus at all. And of course, in the middle of this, Judas, one of his own, betraying him with a sign of affection to signal an arrest. And eventually Jesus would be alone, deserted by God his Father. For us, for us, Jesus goes alone to the cross. And secondly, and briefly, to the cross alone we must come. Because at the cross alone we have the cup of God's wrath drunk for us. At the cross alone we have forgiveness. At the cross alone we have our debt of sin paid so that we could be forgiven. And there's no other way. There's no other way, the Bible says, to get to heaven. There's no other way to be right with God other than having our sin dealt with, our rebellion dealt with. Now, this is a very politically incorrect statement to say because people go, oh, no, 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 no. Every way is, whatever works for you is fine. That's all okay. Just don't tell anyone about, this is the only way. 
But think about it. If this is true and if Jesus is God's king and, and also if he's his Messiah and if Jesus says to his father, if there is any other way, please may it be so. Well, if there was any other way, then God surely would have gone, yes, okay, I will spare you, my son, from death for these rebels. This is how you get right with me. And he would have probably wrote a list out for us to do and we would have gone, okay, I can do that. But you know, that's what religion does. Religion is all do, do and do. But Christianity is not religion in that sense. It's relationship that we have through what Christ has done in bringing forgiveness that we do not deserve. And we call this Good Friday because it is good because there he bore our sins in his body on the tree. I'm forever grateful for that. Are you? But to the cross alone we must come. It's the plan of God. There's no other way. He drank that cup so that we would not have to drink it at all. And Peter, who was struggling to understand what was going on here, after he saw Jesus die and rose from the dead, and after the Spirit was given, he had such great clarity on why Jesus came. He writes this in his first letter, Christ also suffered for sins once for all. The righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's you and me, to bring us to God. Christ suffered for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Peter understood then and he went proclaiming the good news of Jesus because Jesus and his suffering for our sins is the only way whereby we can be right with God. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. To the cross alone we must come. Some final reflections on following Jesus and the first one is is that we need to see in this passage we need to need to see the seriousness of our sin and you might be sitting here thinking look I've been dragged along to church today I didn't really want to come or you know it's pretty early in the morning I didn't I could have had a sleep in and all I hear about is sin and seriousness and judgment and wrath and all of that but friends we do need to see it the problem is, is that our society will tell us, no, 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 you're not a sinner. You're a good person. The problem is the government or education or whatever it might happen to be, that's, that's, or your family or whatever the circumstances. This is the problem. Our big problem with God is the barrier of our sin and rebellion. And we need to see it. And unless we see the seriousness of our sin, we'll never see our need for a saviour. If you think you're okay in the surf, you won't say to the lifesaver, yeah, help me. We need to see it. We need to see that we're helpless. We need to see that we're lost. We need to see that we're dead to God and in need of his forgiveness and welcome. It's like the dark backdrop that a jeweller will get out to show you what the beauty of the diamond is. We need to see the seriousness 
of our sin. Not to, not to compare it with others or to, to justify it or to say, look, my circumstances is this or if you only knew what I had to go through or, or, or comparing it to so-and-so or taking even pride in our sin but to confess it, to see it. Going as Peter did, acknowledging it, weeping bitterly as he did, verse 62. Not just in sorrow for our sin but in true turning back to God which is what Peter did it's not like we say oh dear God forgive me oh thank you now I'm just going to walk my own way again no no we don't do that if somebody saves you from the from the surf if the surf lifesaver comes and saves you and bring drags you in as happened to me once many years ago you don't say to him at the on the on the beach thanks for doing that and I'm going in for another one now like, you don't do that. We don't do that. And it, if our sin drove Jesus to the cross, we don't say thank you and then live as if our sin didn't matter anymore. It does. But we also need to trust the work of Christ for forgiveness. He did drink that bitter cup to the very end so that we don't have to. If you're thinking... All I'm hearing is sin and judgment. Then, then press the pause button listen to this. There's forgiveness for all of us at the cross. At the cross alone, there is forgiveness for all of us. There's mercy. There's grace. That, that's God's mercy that we don't deserve. It's here for all of us. We need to trust Christ's work. And how do we do this? It's not a matter of coming with a whole list of things to do. It's getting clean with God. It's coming clean with God. It's not different from any relational trouble you might have had. It's saying to the person that we've offended, acknowledging I haven't treated you rightly. That's what has to happen in any relationship where you've messed up. You've got to go to the person. I've got to go to that person I've offended and say, I haven't treated you rightly. I haven't treated you as you deserve. In this case, we're talking not to our partner or our wife or spouse or children. We're talking to Almighty God. None of us have treated him as we, as we should. I haven't. And this is just coming clean with him. I haven't treated you as I should. I deserve your wrath. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you that Jesus drank that bitter cup of your anger for me. I need your forgiveness. Thanks that he's done that. And please forgive me and change me that I might live with Jesus as my king, as my ruler. It's receiving that forgiveness and then turning your life over to him. Not to live for ourselves, but to live for him. That's the sort of prayer that you need to pray. Don't know if you've ever considered that before. There's nothing magical in those words. It's pretty similar to what you'd say to anyone. Acknowledging what we've done. Asking for forgiveness. And then seeking to live treating them as they deserve. And Jesus, when we come to him and ask him to forgive us, he will forgive us. There's no one beyond the reach of his forgiveness. His arms are not too short that they cannot save. 
He will forgive us because that's why he came and he will change us because that's what he does. See our sin, trust in Christ for forgiveness and thirdly, keep the centrality of prayer. As we read these verses, we, we just acknowledge that we can do nothing without the help of our Heavenly Father. Jesus has prayed for his disciples. He's prayed for Peter specifically. He's, by the way, has also prayed for us. That's not in this passage, but that's in another part of John's Gospel. He has prayed for us as his people. And he asked his disciples to pray that they would not fall into temptation. Jesus knows the cosmic battle that we're in. We're not in a playground here. We need his help. And he is willing to give aid and help. And we see that uh, in, in Jesus uh, with, the, with the heaven itself giving aid to him, verse 43, in sending an angel, a messenger, to strengthen him. But we need to keep the centrality of prayer. We can come to Jesus with all of our sorrows, with all of our pains, with all of our afflictions, with all of our agony. He understands. We can come to him with all of our sin. Nothing surprises him. He knows you better than you do yourself. He knew Peter than Peter thought he knew he knew himself. Jesus says, you're going to deny me. Oh, no, I'm not. Sorry, buddy, you will. And he did. Jesus knows you. We should come clean to, with him. And we can pray to him about anything and everything. All of our sin. He knows it. He knows our sin. Why? Because he has taken upon himself every single drop of its dire consequence and judgment. He knows our sin. And he's ready and willing to forgive. That's why he came. That's why it's Good Friday. And finally, we trust in God's sovereign will and purposes. We pray with the attitude that Jesus has. Yet not my will, but yours be done. This is not some sort of sign of Jesus is not trusting in God. Oh, look, Lord, I pray that this, I'll have deliverance here. But yet not my will, but yours be done. It's not like he's, he's doubting God at all. Of course he's not doubting God. But what he is doing is acknowledging God's sovereign will and purpose. Even in the most dire of situations. The evil forces that were around meant it exactly for that. But God meant it for good, for our good. And we need to have this attitude of yet not my will but yours be done. The crowd, uh, the, the Jewish, uh, the, the, the religious heavies come with Judas leading to betray. And Jesus says to him, uh, says to them, well, I was teaching in the temple court. Why didn't you arrest me then? And here's something we need to grab hold of. Jesus says, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. They didn't arrest him then, but ah, this hour is when darkness reigns. Understand this, that the sovereign will of God grants evil it, it, its rule only for his purpose and for a time limited for his purpose. Uh, J.C. Ryle says this, The hands of the wicked cannot move one moment 
before God allows them to move. The hands of the wicked cannot move one moment before God allows them to move. And they cannot continue one moment after God has commanded them to stop. This is your hour that darkness reigns. They didn't get him earlier. It was for this hour that it happened. God's sovereign will and purposes are in control of even the darkness. And friends, your trials may be short or long, deep or shallow, but rest assured that the darkness will not last one moment more than God sees fit for you to endure. God is sovereign. Yet not my will but yours be done. And he's a loving, sovereign God that we can trust and must trust as we walk with him. Friends, today we've seen that Jesus goes to the cross alone for us so that in going to the cross alone we can come to him forgiven, cleansed and to him, to the Father, our Heavenly Father. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we reflect together in song on the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus for us, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Let's stand and sing.